Today you will hear from police officers, their lives, and their stories. The accounts may be mature in nature, and mature language may be used. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to GPPD Podcast. I'm your host, Nate. I'm a lateral transfer officer, and I'm currently assigned to the Investigations Bureau. And I'm your co-host, KD. I'm also a lateral officer, and I'm assigned to the Crime Prevention Unit. We're always looking for great men and women for the police department, but also we need dispatchers, animal control, code enforcement officers, and detention officers. So if you know anybody interested, please, please send them to GrandPrairiePolice.org. Get that information filled out so that you can apply. Don't forget to find us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And most importantly, find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe, activate notifications, leave us a five-star review. All right, guys, today we're going to talk to Officer Joseph. He's been with the department uh, somewhere around eight years. He did time in the Army uh, on EOD, or Explosive Ordnance Disposal. He also served as a sniper in his uh, infantry unit. And he has quite a few little kiddos and uh, an aspiring farm, as well as the way that he's adjusted to life back in the civilian realm after service in the military. So it should be an interesting conversation. Let's dig into it. Mr. Joseph, um, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. See how this goes. I don't want to be too excited about it until we get done with it, figuring that yeah, it's one of the first ones. Uh, tell me a little bit about like rank, you know, some of the basic stuff, rank, position, time on, things like that. Go ahead. So uh been with Grand Prairie for just over eight years. Uh, came over in 2014. It's the only police agency I applied at, the only one I've worked at. So that's my entire experience in law enforcement has been Grand Prairie. Um, currently, I'm on our deployment unit. Just recently transitioned over there from from patrol. I was on patrol for all the years prior, both night shift and day shift. I've experienced the uh, wonders of patrol on both both sides of the the sun. Um, I'm also on our SWAT team as a uh, one of the snipers. Um, been on the SWAT team for, for five years now. Uh, just also recently joined our um, competition team. So I'm going to go to the uh, SWAT competition here in a few months. Hopefully we'll, uh, we'll place. I hope. Where uh, where are they having that this time? Uh, Conroe. So it's like uh, between here and Houston. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I think that's where they had it last year. Um, but we recently competed. We had two teams in the uh, tactical games, which was held in uh, Waxahachie. And we placed uh, first and second during the uh, team event. So hmm. hopefully it'll go uh, go well. I think Grand Prairie's done well in the past, but they're they're really hoping for that first, second, or third finish. So we'll see if... See if we can take it this year. What are the benefits of doing those those types of competitions? Just uh, notoriety, bragging rights. In case what guys don't have egos that are big enough. No, well, we're always <laughs> looking for ways to to elevate that. Like, like we always, yeah, like it's right. not just about having great hair or huge muscles right. or like really tight fitting clothing and all the great gear. But like, we have to have a reason we can talk. For right. So. We're obviously going to have competitions, you know, right. from. So you're telling me there aren't any extra medium shirts over there in the SWAT building? No, they've all been snatched up. Like, and, I think we have like. Torn. Yeah, I think we have like a large <laughs> laying around for, for some of the more yoked guys. But no, it's like a uh, is the only size that's allowed. So 
either going to fit into it or you're going to fill it out. You got it's your choice. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Joseph, tell me a little bit like I want to know where you're from. Lifestyle. Where'd you grow up? It's a tricky question, actually, because I grew up as an army brat, so didn't really live too long in one place. Now, when people ask me that, I tell them Austin area, just because that's where I lived the longest. And it was also like I lived my teenage years, so the the most formidable years I lived in the Austin area, kind of so North Austin, Georgetown, like Cedar Park, uh, that area. So that's where I lived the longest. I probably lived there maybe about a decade up until I became an adult. So um, I've lived all over Texas, a few places in the United States, overseas. So just kind of bounced around a lot during uh, following my dad around. What's your, like, what's, the, I guess, the furthest or most uh, <clears throat> strangest place you stayed besides? So we lived, uh, as a kid, I lived in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia for a year. Oh, wow. In the early 90s. Uh, my dad was a um, advisor to the or a U.S. advisor to the Saudi military, um, kind of the tail end of Desert Storm and and after, and uh, so that was somehow an company tour. So the whole family went. Yeah, I was gonna say that's wild because that's still kind of a high risk region during that time. Yeah, I think. And actually, the a uh, few years, few years later, I mean, this was a minute. They they actually had a some sort of terrorist attack on the towers that my dad worked in. It was like the, the, the actual towers and they even attack at the, uh, near the base that we stayed at. So now like the base and stuff is still there, but it's not in a company tour. So like you don't take your family over there, but it's a different time in the early nineties, I guess. But, wow. um, I mean, it was like shortly after desert storm. And, uh, so that's the furthest I've ever lived. Uh, was which, how old were you during that time? Uh, I was like six. Okay. About six years old. So some of my earliest memories are that and then before that. But um, I was fortunate that I was old enough to actually like remember it and remember a lot of it because right. it is a cool experience. It's not one that most six-year-olds get is to no, absolutely go exist in, a, in another country. And, and it's, I mean, it was relative, relatively safe, safe enough that like, like my mom would take us outside and into Riyadh and right. see the sights and, and do stuff. And we used to go camping out in the desert and stuff like that. So. Definitely the uh, the furthest that I've furthest I live, but the bulk of my life has been lived in in Texas between uh, Austin and then a few years in Corpus Christi. But oh, cool! I love it down there. Yeah, so we lived not too far from the beach, but not like the nice part, right? You know, like the the part that's behind the nice homes at the uh, like out of the beach. Yeah, so gotcha. <laughs> not the not the million dollar mansions on the beach, but right. uh, like we could see the beach if you looked just right down our uh, down our street, but. Yeah, you I lived a few, between the, the the Lamborghini and the, the right, yacht right, and see, <laughs> right before, uh, between our our uh, beat up minivan, and, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the Zuzu Trooper my dad used to drive. So, um, but yeah, mostly mostly in Austin. So I know it's a long long answer to the question, but um, I tell people that Austin when they ask me is like, oh yeah, it's from from the Austin area. What's your What's your dad do? So my dad started out as a uh, field artillery officer. That's when he initially. Um, uh, commissioned as, but he eventually transitioned over to uh, what's called a foreign area officer. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's a they get when they get selected for that program, they're assigned a region of the world, and then they become experts in that region. So like he got um, selected for the Middle East, and so he was sent to go learn Arabic. So he spent a year learning oh, and becoming wow. fluent in Arabic, uh, learning the cultures, and then they they go send you over there. and And really, what it is is you serve as an advisor, but it's also 
you're also keeping tabs. Mm-hmm. So um, everyone does it. Every country does it where it's like we have like the consulates in different places, but really right. it's that country keeping tabs. Right. So Absolutely. he was a, uh, so he, he worked with the Saudi national guard or their, their, which is what their, their military is called as an advisor to their officers and, and all that stuff. And as a, uh, as a ambassador, I guess from one military to the other. So, uh, he traveled all over the Middle East. I don't think there's a Middle Eastern country my dad hasn't been to during that time, just with the uh, with the job and then some other stuff. So he used to go for days and would go to Jordan or to Oman, <clears throat> to Oman, to Yemen, to well. to wherever, just all over the Middle East. And so he did that. And then uh, when he came back, he finished out his career as a as a, an instructor for mid mid level military officers up until he uh, he retired. A few years ago. That's awesome. Oh, so he was going until recently? Um, no, until like uh, 2000... I don't know, shortly after I joined, like 2008. Oh, okay. So then he uh, then he went to work at the... Uh, one of the three-letter agencies. And uh, as a... He did a couple of jobs there. Analyst. Uh, he was charged on like training budget, some other stuff like that. And then uh, he did 10 years there and then finally fully retired. But he did a total of 28 years in the Army prior to uh, to retiring. I'm not going to lie. Whenever you you talk about some of the stuff he did in the Middle East, then say he retired, then he went to a three-letter agency where he you know might have done training. It kind of sounds like you're lying. And he probably was the CIA because <laughs> it kind of sounds like some spy stuff to begin with. <laughs> no, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the CIA. And I don't – I mean, I don't know how – I mean, it was the uh, DIA, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency. Oh, okay. But uh, to be honest with you, if you ask me specifics of what he did, and, I, and I'm being completely honest, like, I don't know. I don't, to be honest with you, I don't think he was a spy. And like, I say <laughs> that like 90, 95% of me says like he wasn't a spy. But I, I actually, I don't know like the full details. I know at one point he was a security manager, and then he was in like a management level of some uh, training branch of, of the uh, the agency, like, um, facilitating the different training and and then he would he went to Afghanistan as a as a uh, no nah, he's, he's, sec- he's security a director so <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean it's it sure it's it's totally possible uh, he's a normal looking dude so it, it's totally hundred percent possible my dad at one point was a was a spy I'll never know if I did know I'll never tell that's right that yeah. whole uh, if I told you how to kill you type type thing and. Uh, like I don't know, I don't know if his handlers are listening to this or whatever. Right, yeah. So you just never know. <laughs> I say I just finished watching the old man, so hopefully uh, his retirement works out better for him. <laughs> yeah. That's well, awesome. he he spends his days gardening and cleaning up his pool. So, hmm. but uh, I don't know if he's if he's gonna suddenly disappear for a few days or whatever. But <laughs> no, tell him to enjoy retired life. He deserves it. No, he. I, yeah, like I said, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think in the in his younger days when he was touring around, I know for a fact that he did some of that kind of stuff, but more on the uh, not like not like double oh seven spy stuff, but like right. I mean, just going and looking at stuff and reporting back. Yeah, gotta, so yeah. I mean that's that's all he did in the Middle East and that job that that arena is it's not it's not a secret, right? Yeah. So um, I do know he did, did some of that stuff, and then um, but so yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of traveling around. Um, there's like five, there's five people in my family. I'm actually the fourth least traveled of, of them all. So like my mom and dad have been, I, I couldn't even tell you how many countries. My brother's been to even more countries than me. And then, no then there's like a pretty good gap. And then there's me 
And then there's my sister who didn't do as much travel just because after we became adults, she didn't do as much travel. I obviously went on to do a little more traveling to less desirable places, but um, most of my family's been all over everywhere. Are they most of them military? Um, no, my, my brother's not military. Actually, my brother's a, was a professional ballet dancer. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) different. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, a little different. Um, so he traveled with his ballet company out of Germany and been all over. Um, and then he married a ballet dancer who's even more, probably more traveled than he is. That's awesome. awesome. So I'm like the least cultured person (laughs) in my family (laughs) when it comes to travel. So at what point did you say, I want to get into law enforcement. Like, was it seeing your dad do some of this stuff and traveling and whatnot? No, actually it was getting out of the army and not really having anything to do. And <laughs> Grand Prairie gave me a, an opportunity. Um, like I said, I, it, I was not the kid that was like, Oh, I want to be a police officer when I grow up. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to be a soldier, which I did, but then I just didn't want to do it per, you know, for, for a career. Um, now part of that was influenced through my grandfather did a full career and then my father did a full career. And then, so part of that was influenced on all of that. And I mean, it wasn't a bad thing, but getting out of the army and kind of wanting the same environment, um, without, without how much control the military has on each individual person, right? Like there's like, you don't own yourself or your time when you're in the military, Mm -hmm. any point in time, they can call you and tell you, Hey, you have to come in because somebody lost this specialized battery that belongs to this specialized equipment and we got to like find it. And on Sunday night, like three beers in, you're back at the, uh, the, on, uh, at your, at your building trying to find this, this battery. Right. And, uh, you can't say no, like that's, it's, yep. that's what you signed up for. So part of that, I was also, I was kind of over the whole deploying thing and I just got married, started a family. So I decided I was uh, going to cut ties with that aspect. And then, um, I think p- the police world is a, it's a good transition because you get that same environment. You operate with those same type of people, with that same mindset, get the same kind of training, all of that without, without the over control. Like you still have control over your life. You still have control over what you can do. Like, like there's, they don't mess with you as much as, as the military. Plus they also treat you like adults, which is something that the military right. finds it hard to do. I was going to ask you, you, you mentioned having the, the same environment and I know we've spoken previously just a little bit about some of your deployments. And I, I know from hearing your descriptions and my time here at Grand Prairie, it's a vastly different environment. Um, so I guess I, what do you, what do you, are you getting to like the, the camaraderie aspect or? Oh yeah, or for what? sure. Like the, uh, it's just the, the type of people, like it's like, if you're used to operating with the type of people that, that are in the military, if you think about who joins, but it, it, it's also job specific, right? So it's like, you're, if you're doing a job that is out there actively fighting and everything, it's a, it, there's a certain type of person that, that operates well in that environment. And those, you don't find those people in your normal corporate world. You don't find those people, um, you know, in just out in the world on the streets. Like that's a, that's a very special type of person that gets attracted to very special types of jobs. And, the police world is one of those things where you, you have those people that are operating in the kind of the same environment. It's an environment of risk, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're the job's not safe. It's not like that's, Oh, it's the most dangerous job. It's, and we're not saying that, but there's a lot of risk that comes with that job. Mm-hmm. And to 
be with the type of people that are willing to shoulder that risk is it's there's something special about that. And once sure. you've kind of right. been around those type of people, that's who you want to associate with and that's who you want to be around. So getting out of the military, it's like, okay, where do I go that's not the military to find those type of people? And the police world is that place that you're going to find a lot of the same type of people. And more and more, I mean, I, th- I read a statistic saying that almost 20% of the U.S. police force at this point are veterans. Yep. So it's like there, there's something to that where veterans are getting out, people are getting out of the military and transitioning over to the police world because it, it feels the same environment. It's, it's you're with the same type of people. You have a collective goal. Um, you're in these, in these, you can separate yourselves into different types of units. There's, there's, there's different types of, of jobs you can do based on your interest. And then you find those people, you work with those people and even hang out with those people in the off time, but you're all, you have a purpose. You're working towards that common goal with the type of people that are going to be there to see it through. So really that's, that's the, that was the transition, but it, it wasn't even like on my radar as like, Oh, that the police world is just the, the, so when I was in Afghanistan, we had a, uh, there was a, uh, he was a contractor, a civilian contractor um, that that lived, that was contracted out by some company, but he lived on our outpost and his, he was a law enforcement contractor and his, his job was to, as we collected certain biometrics and evidence, his job was to ensure that there was some sort of continuity and that, 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 that stuff was protected in the process, right? We had had these uh, law enforcement professionals. They also provided some training to the local law enforcement, um, the Afghan law, the police that we were hiring. So um, he was a pretty dynamic guy. I believe he he retired out of Arlington PD. Okay. Um, I could be I could be mis uh, misremembering that, but somewhere in the DFW Metroplex, he knew he knew Steve Die, hmm. and so like I'd smoke cigars with him. We'd okay. come back from mission. We'd we'd, we'd uh, smoke cigars, and he used to like rave about grand prairie never talked about his his agency he came from which is why i can't remember what it is but man he talked about steve die and grand prairie and this wasn't even like i wasn't even planning on getting out at this point i was just in afghanistan and so we i mean we talked about a lot of things it wasn't like we spent nine months just talking about grand prairie or whatever and so it wasn't until like he followed up with me like a year after i got back from afghanistan i told him i was like oh yeah i'm getting out kind of looking for a job and he's like well, Grand Prairie's having a test. He's like, he lives in Midlothian. He's like, oh, you should come out here, test with Grand Prairie. You can stay with me. Like, we'll set it all up, all that kind of stuff. So I was like, you know what? Sure. I'm looking for a job. Police job can't be that bad, right? Like, yeah, uh, like I, I need something. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I flew out and, uh, or drove out. I was, I was stationed in West Texas at the time, but I uh, drove out or flew out. I can't remember. Anyways, I went to the test, stayed with him, passed the test, and then... Here I am. So um, that's really my foray into my transition into uh, law enforcement. It wasn't even like, oh, this is what I always wanted to do. And I applied to 13 different agencies and I got hired at five, but I chose Grand Prairie. Like, right. that's not that not my story. Like, I just, so I now that I've been here, though, I, I realize how fortunate and lucky I am mm-hmm. to have applied to one agency and then landed here knowing very little about Grand Prairie. Like, no one like unless you're from Dallas Fort Worth, you've never heard of Grand Prairie. Like, right. like you come up here <laughs> and you're like Grand Prairie, even though we're like the sixth largest city in the Metroplex, like pushing yeah. two hundred thousand people. Yeah. Like, it's a major. We're a major player in the DFW area. Yeah, yeah. But who's heard? Yeah, if yeah. you're if you don't live here, like nobody's heard of Grand Prairie. And so even though I was from Austin, I had cousins that lived up here. I came up here all the time. Never heard of Grand Prairie in my mind. Grand Prairie, like Grand Prairie, was like oh, it's got to be some like 
small little no <laughs> it's not it's it's actually a really big major player in big city yeah. so i got very fortunate with uh with coming here especially with with the way that grand prairie does uh does policing as compared to not only the metroplex but the rest of the country and yeah. the leadership and the opportunities that i've that i've had so um i do f- very fortunate to be here and i hope that uh i hope the departments also feels feels that uh i'm an asset to them as well you can talk to people that live here and when they talk to people outside of the Metroplex, if they if they're asked where do you live, they go Dallas Fort Worth. People say Dallas Fort Worth because everyone knows that, right? Mm-hmm. Like Dallas Fort Worth is, is is huge in the in in the rest of the country. But if you said, yeah, you're from Grand Prairie, they're like, what small town like East Texas is that? Like yeah. that's why that's what it it's, it comes across. But it, yeah. in, yeah, in you reality, say, you say you're from Grand Prairie, like kind of give that blank look. You say Texas, DFW. And they're, and they're immediately they're like. Oh, where's your cowboy hat? <laughs> and your horse. Yeah. <laughs> we were at other agencies. And so I lateraled over. And you can actually see night and day difference from one police department to the next. I have lots of stories, so to speak, about like things that were scary or, you know, funny. Give me an embarrassing moment since you've been here with GP. Something that happened to you either on the streets or, you know, just doing police stuff. So probably the most embarrassing story that I've had um, since being here. And, and as a caveat, some, one thing that people don't tell you uh, when you get into policing is how much like nudity is involved in this, this job. <laughs> um, like, like that's nowhere you do like research on being a police officer and then nowhere you're going to read it. They're going to be like, there's going to be a lot of naked people, like a lot of them um, doing a whole bunch of random things. Um, so that, that, that definitely shocked me as it's definitely a new education when you come here. Like you think you, you're smart. You had like, oh yeah, I went to college and right. you went to, did this, that, the other thing. It was in the army, but it's like, it's a whole nother level of education that, um, that you have when you become a police officer. But with that being said, the realization that I made very early on was that, oh, the next 20, 30 years, I'm going to see a lot of naked people, not, mm-hmm. not in a good way at all. It's like, it's just in these, it, it, there's just a lot too. And it's like a lot of people just don't they're not embarrassed by like us seeing it, but they would be if somebody else, but well, there's, there's a reason for that. Let's stop you real quick. There, there's an actual, and you know what it is as far as with which we come across some of the more embarrassing stuff. You want to go into that? I mean, are you talking about like, well, it's like the drug use. Yeah. That's where I thought you were going with it. I didn't want to yeah. throw something, something weird yeah. out there. And I'd be <laughs> like, well, no, now, now, now I'm interested in what you're saying. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of, there is a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of the drug, the war on drugs or drug use is definitely a, a hot topic in the country. And I, I don't think people realize the, the fallout because so the great thing about our country is that if you if you're in the middle class and up, you are 100 percent shielded away from 99 percent of what life actually is for the rest of the world. Absolutely. Um, and I'm talking about it could be overseas and even in our own country. There are certain parts of our own country that I that our own country, the United States that I've been to that reminded me of Baghdad. Right. Um, like inner city, Baltimore, you go to inner city, Baltimore, like the, the way that people are living, the way that people are like stealing electricity and, and, and running their own lines, all that stuff. I mean, that reminds me of a third world country. And, and I've been to, been to several and then it's, it's like, it's, it does remind you in some of these regions of that. And so people don't realize that that's going on. So when people talk about like drugs and such a blase or like, oh, well, no, like people should. Like it should be decriminalized or whatever. They just don't realize that. Yes, that is 
the core of it, but it it branches off real quick into mm-hmm. a whole level st- all the stuff from from our mental health crisis to rampant uh, violent crimes to gang uh, violence to uh, general thefts to right. um, sickness, chronic illness that then overwhelms our medical system. Like it's it, it is at the core root of it is that. And if you don't if you don't place some sort of boundaries on that aspect, then you're gonna lose you're gonna lose everything. And those people that live in their their little pristine sanitary boxes uh, for houses and drive to their pristine sanitary work using only highways and and in the in their areas. Like they, they're, you're going to lose all of that. Like yeah. that's an anomaly. Right. So it's definitely, you see a lot of people in these, in the, in, in, in crisis when it comes to this stuff. And and I think it, it, people don't realize that this is going on very close, like here in Dallas, right? Yeah. In Grand Prairie, in Red Oak, in Lancaster, in Irving, like there's a place in every city mm-hmm. that if you spend enough time, you'd be shocked at the level of humanity, but that's the standard for humanity across the whole world. Yep. Like so it's it is definitely and that's a that's a long kind of caveat, <clears throat> but having been to to places in the world from first world countries all the way down to war zones, you realize that that we'll, what we have is such an anomaly. And if you're not careful, and if you if you don't put like boundaries on the stuff that wants to attack that, um, then you're going to lose it all, and then you're just going to end up like the the rest of the world. And for somebody that's grown up in America expecting American things and all that stuff. Like people aren't prepared to, to lose that and live like 99.9% of the rest of the world. Right. Yeah. I think we have some good examples of what some States that have lost it, so to speak, or are losing it or lo- for yeah, sure. Well, yeah. That was what I was going to say too, is you mentioned how, you know, we still have, we have our guys who live in the middle class and then they, experience their their environment they hop in the freeway they exit you know their corporate building where they have security or it's gated or whatever the case is mm-hmm. and um and that's true here but there's a lot of places where some of these um these basically decriminalization movements on the part of the district attorney's offices are kind of removing that buffer and you're seeing that's why you're seeing so many businesses fleeing to other states uh because no longer are are your business parks immune from the same stuff that these kids are having to grow up around. And too often people are willing to tolerate it when other people's children are growing up there, but then you put it next to their parking garage and now all of a sudden it's, you a, know, problem. it's a problem we got to deal with. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing the, look at all the laterals that are coming from Los Angeles, San Francisco, yeah. up out of Portland, Seattle, like all these places that are losing it. They're trying to, I mean, most of the time they're, they're trying at this point, they're realizing that and they're trying to gain back, control but that's like letting a really heavy rock roll down the the hill a little bit and then trying to like catch it and push it back up like like i'm sorry you let it roll we can get it back but now it's an uphill battle for 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 what it is and so you i mean we're seeing people like residents flee those states and then we're seeing businesses flee those states we're seeing uh police officers flee those states because they're not environments that are conducive to what the expectations are as an american and 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 then I mean, eventually, if if you don't stop that, then and put and put some boundaries within. I mean, we're we're a very free country. You can there's so much you can do, right? It's not like we're once again being. If you've been outside the United States, you see some of these other countries that don't have the same protections. But with anything, when you when your society gets to a certain point, you need to have rules. And, right. and I'm sorry, like you got to have rules. You got to have boundaries. That, that way, everyone's on the same page for this is the conduct that we're that we're going to accept. And if you start accepting 
that kind of conduct, then the people that don't want to accept it are going to move elsewhere because they have that freedom. And then, then what are you going to be left with? Are well, you going to be left with the, the people that you bent over backwards for? Right. And it could be, could be gang members. It could be the, the, the drug users. So, I mean, it's a, it's a double-edged sword and you got to find a, a balance that you're not coming down too hard on, on, on people. And then you're also not overwhelming the system, but at the same time, um, having that balance, I don't think we'll ever get to a perfect balance. I think it's just always yeah. going to be back and forth, back and forth. But it, I think that it's, uh, it, it's definitely very telling when you see people start to loosen up on those boundaries and then what happens. And it's like, regardless of what side of the country it is, it happens the same in all these countries it's, or all these, these cities it's like, okay, well, it's probably there. Like these boundaries and rules are there for, for a reason. Right. Um, but a part of it is too, is, is these people that don't live it every day. This is why they like the, the cop shows and stuff like that, because they don't experience this. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, true crime podcasts are just like, if you look at the podcast, like true crime podcasts are always at the top. It being like right. most popular, yeah. the shows, cop shows are always, everyone loves a good cop show, whether it be cops or live PD or, or whatever the other, really whether sitcoms. Yeah. Like oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, the sitcoms or whatever, just because people people want a a window into um, into that, they don't want to touch it, they don't want to be a part of it, but they want to see it, right? Like because right. it's it's crazy and it's interesting. That's why I mean we've all been there at the family gathering, or whatever. People are like, oh man, tell me your craziest police story, and it's like no, because. Yeah, exactly. the craziest police story is like not appropriate for like family <laughs> gatherings. So it's like you always have those stories that you tell, and it's like you know p- people get a, like a little insight on the uh, on on what goes on without you know just you're not that guy that's like oh and then this happened and people are looking at you like about to lose their lunch or whatever. Well, that's and, I was going to ask: are, are you like me in that when when you get asked those questions, like oh what's the nastiest thing you've ever seen? Do you ever answer honestly, or do you tone it down? No, I mean, I've got my, so I've got like my set few stories that I tell mm-hmm. to people just because it's like, they're lighthearted and genuine to be like, try to be the shock jock or whatever. So, I mean, I have my, my stories. Like when people ask me, like, you ask me my most embarrassing, like I was like, I locked a shoplifter in the back of my crown Vic. Like, <laughs> like, so <laughs> like, like I said, it has nothing to do with nudity, but when people ask me that, it's like, do I have other embarrassing stories? Absolutely. Like oh, yeah. you're in awkward situations constantly, oh, but it's bad. like, I'm, I'm not necessarily going to tell like some of the more risque ones, yeah. but like, I'm going to tell the time that I arrested this lady for shoplifting. I was a rookie. I had just been a, like, just cut loose at an FTO. I had a crown Vic. Crown Vic's don't have key fobs, right? Mm-hmm. You had like the key and then the little tag that identifies what vehicle it is. And so like I got it started up, put her in the back. She was she had walked out with like four hundred something dollars worth of merchandise, so she wasn't getting a ticket. She was going to jail. So she she gets in the back of the car, close it. Like I get in there and make sure the AC's pumping, because you know, like we we have to do that. We have to take care of that kind of thing. So I close up all the all the doors and I'm talking to the loss prevention lady. I'm getting all the paperwork. And then I go around and I try to pull on my door to get in the car and it's locked. And at this point, I'm starting to panic just a little bit, right? <laughs> but it's like, okay, well, there's there's a passenger side, and surely I just bumped the lock with uh, with my elbow, right? Uh, so I walk around to the passenger side, I pull on that door, it's locked too. And so this handcuffed lady in the back's like looking up at me, and I'm trying to look at her and play like super cool because I'm like I'm a rookie, right? Like, <laughs> but the problem is, is like there's Walmart loss prevention there that knows I locked this lady in the car. <laughs> I got my backup there that knows I locked this lady in the car. The lady knows I locked her in the car, and I got to call Sarge, right? So I got to call Sarge because Sarge got to go get the spare key. So now Sarge knows that I locked this lady 
in the car. So for like 20 minutes, I had to sit there and pretend like I'm going through the paperwork or like talking to people, like <laughs> trying to trying to put on this this brave face because I'm a rookie. And finally, Sarge shows up with the key. And so I like quickly like get in my car and start driving. And I get I get like not even out of the parking lot. And the lady's like, you locked me in the car, didn't you? I was like, no, why would you, why would you say that? I no, there's no way I would have locked you in the car. I'm a professional. No. Nah, so it's like. <laughs> Like it's one thing when you're embarrassed when you do something stupid and only you catch it, and, mm. and you're kind of embarrassed because you're like, "Man, I'm I'm better." Then there's like another level of embarrassment, like your buddies catch it, mm. and then they give you a little bit of shit, and you're like, "All right." And then it's like an absolute next level is when like the public catches it, you know, mm -hmm. and especially if they're able to get it on film or you saying something stupid or or like yeah. eating shit or whatever it is. And then it's like then your supervisor, like so it's like yeah. the different levels and that embarrassing moment, especially as a rookie, just hit like all those levels yep. now i think i probably have been like yeah yeah i locked you in the car so that was wild but uh anyways you're under arrest for for theft like like now it probably wouldn't eight years later it, it i've just been like all right whatever but you know as a rookie when you're trying to prove yourself mm -hmm. like so when it comes to embarrassment like that's the one i felt the most embarrassment i mean now it's like i, I don't even know what would have to happen for me to actually like feel embarrassed on a on a call but um, you know, it's a weird thing that happens. I wonder why that is. Or if it's because we see other people in so many situations that are wildly more embarrassing than anything we could do to ourselves. I mean, that's, that's probably it. I think we just stop caring. Like, yeah. you just know you're going to be in those situations. Yeah. And uh, and then I think half the time is you get, once you get used to the job, like the normal calls, like routine calls, quote unquote, right? There's mm. I know there's no routine call in law enforcement, but... Like the BMV reports, like just a straight BMV or theft report or whatever it is. Like, I mean, that's not exciting. It's it's necessary. Mm -hmm. We do the job. We go do it. Um, we take the report. We investigate it. Do whatever. Um, but that's not that exciting. It doesn't get me like doesn't get me up in the morning, right? And then, what gets me up in the morning at eight years is like, all right, what kind of crazy shit's about to kick off on my <laughs> shift today? Like that's what right. you're looking for. So so whenever now you find yourselves in those awkward situations, it's no longer embarrassing. It's now like, yes, yes, this is what I was looking for, right? Like right, this yeah. is, this is what I woke up for is like this crazy stuff. And regardless if it's directed at you or not, you're like, still like, no, this is, this is it. This is the excitement that I was looking for in the job. So I think you just, I mean, there's still times you're going to be embarrassed or, or, or feel, I guess, feel that way. But I think it definitely lessens as you go on. And after you've kind of proved yourself in the job and, like you're not that stupid rookie and making rookie mistakes sure. um, anymore uh, on that kind of thing. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, that was probably the moment that I felt the most, most embarrassment really. Yeah, it's pretty good. Once again, as a, as a rookie, cause I think you make these kind of mistakes when you're newer um, trying to prove yourself. And that's, that's the danger. Yeah. It's like, oh man, I'm gonna go like try to prove myself. And it's no different than the army. Like you show up as you're like a brand new private or whatever. You're like, man, I'm gonna prove myself. And then you just, jack everything up and then like it, just for the world to see and then you never hear the end of it it can be a danger it can be dangerous in like a, a funny way and a real not funny way too yeah so yeah i definitely got to pick and choose with when you jack, jack yeah. stuff up but sometimes you don't have a choice but i remember uh i remember we got called to a drug investigation call where they're like uh it was like open air drug stuff um at, at a certain intersection in our city right so um i get a message from one of the other officers like hey you want to come yeah, you know, we, we've got like three or four of us together. We're going to, we're going to roll up and then try to detain these guys. Right. 
And I was like, oh man, they want, they want to include me. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> like, cool. Like, all right. Like maybe, maybe I'm in now. Like, like these other more experienced officers, like, all right, cool. Like, like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a go and I'm a, I'm a prove myself. So I looked at the address and on the, on the, uh, the call and I was like, okay, oh yeah, I'm, I know where that's at. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. So me being like the super new, not thinking through dumbass showed up to the intersection Oh no! <laughs> scaring everybody away, like, and then I'm sitting there looking around. There's no one selling drugs, believe it or not. Like, hey, <laughs> like I'm looking away. around. There's no other officers. No one selling drugs. And I was like, I messaged. I was like, hey, where where you guys at? And they're like, oh, we're we're staged over here. Once we get there, we're gonna drive up. And I was like, oh, yeah. oh. He's like, why? Where are you? I was like, at the intersection, <laughs> scaring all the drug dealers away before we can roll up. So like, yeah, at the time I was like, oh man, like, like I, it's, it's those moments where you're like, man, I wish I'd actually like thought this through, but also, man, I'm new. Like why, why did they tell me like, Hey, come yeah. stage over here. I felt a little set up at the, at the moment, but you know, I rolling up, I'm like, oh man, this is going to be like, this is, this is next level stuff, right? We're going to, we're going to roll up some drug dealers. Like this is going to be, it's going to be super cool. And the funny thing is, is like, I tell these stories as like a rookie, like I came to this job at 28. So it's not like I'm like this That's 22 true. year old, like I'm actually like pushing 30 when I, when I joined this job and, and still like being like, Oh yeah. Like, so you have like these 22 year olds are making the same rookie mistakes as me at 28, even though like there's, there's a vastly different life experience there. But it's like, like, I, no, the caveat is I'm actually like a lot older, but I think the, I think the aspect of that is though, I think being, being older, a little older, a little wiser, a little more experience. Um, I'm able to, you're able to kind of shake those things off a Mm -hmm. little more because you're like, all right, like I've already established myself as a person. I have that self-confidence and stuff like that. So when that kind of stuff does happen, it doesn't eat at you. And I think also like other officers tend to like let you slide a little more knowing that, all right, like he's not some 22 year old or whatever that's, that's coming in fresh off the fresh out of college. And, and, uh, cause I mean, it's, it's definitely a different, honestly, this would be very hard coming in that young. Mm-hmm. Um, with no life experience and then no knowledge of the of this kind of stuff, and all of a sudden at twenty two, and, and as an FTO, I saw it like, um, and it, it was it was it was kind of funny because it's just like it's a whole new world. It is a whole new world that exists within your own, and then to see some of the realization of of some of these people, like, oh, this job isn't this job isn't what I thought it was going to be. And yeah. I think everybody has that moment where it's like, oh yeah, oh man, this. Like this is wild. Like this is vastly different than what I expected it, and the, the like the clean exterior that then like recruiting puts on it, and then and no fault of recruiting. I mean the military, the military does it one hundred percent. You want to talk about the biggest oh, like, yeah. like, and those guys will get you because you signed a contract, right? Like they show you the most awesome videos, and they're like, oh yeah, like show you this awesome video of like tanks flying and uh, going over bumps and like Apache helicopters coming in low and then fighting then it, dragons. Yeah. It's fighting right dragons. Right. And then it scans <laughs> over to like the, the guys in the forties cooking eggs. And it's yeah. like be an army cook. And someone's like, yeah, yeah I want to do that because like the helicopters, tanks and all that. Next yeah. thing you know, you're in some chow hall somewhere. Like, how do you want your eggs? Like, yeah. like so I, I get the, I get the whole, like, you know, putting the spin on it yeah, and then you join, whether it be the police force or the military or whatever it is. And, and then you're kind of like, Oh yeah, this is, this is different. Yeah. You know, and, and you kind of realize whether it's for you or not. And if it's not, you know, no harm, no harm, no foul. Like, or well, if the, if, if Grand Prairie is not the environment for you, no harm, no foul, you go, yeah. you'll find some somewhere else to be. 
Now, I think actually that's kind of where uh, I'm hopeful this this podcast has an opportunity to, to bridge a little bit of a gap because a lot of times you can't give that realistic view or inside uh, look at a recruiting event. It's just not practical. You really do have to. We, what do we always tell people when they're thinking about law enforcement? Go do a ride along. Right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. And you, you you go do that ride along. You see a little bit of it, but more important than even seeing it, you're sitting next to the guy in the car, the officer, and you're talking and 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 whatnot, and you're you're getting that that glimpse before you get to FTO, which for our, our non law enforcement listeners is a field training officer. So after you graduate the academy, you get assigned to an officer who's typically a little bit more senior and he uh, trains you up um, in the field as opposed to just the classroom. And you do see a lot of those guys that haven't done the ride alongs, haven't done uh, some of the the more thorough research and they get there and they're like, ah, oh, crap, like this is not what I expected. Either one, it's not all, you know, car chases and fights and the, you know, the glamorous looking stuff. Uh, or, and uh, what we've seen recently is at least I did before well, when I was an FTO is you have guys and girls who get there and it's like, Oh no, there's more of that than I thought there was. Mm-hmm. I thought that fight was the yeah. exception, not the rule. And it's they, no, no, you know, depending on where you at, where you where you're at, and sometimes it's just the luck, the luck of the draw too. I mean, you have the so crazy things happen everywhere. There, um, you know, and there's a lot more things that happen in every community all around us that you just don't see unless you happen to walk outside and see that squad car in front of that house. You're not going to see it because it's not notable enough to you know make the news. Um, and that's, in my mind, that's what I'm kind of hoping what we have the chance to do here uh, with the podcast is give a little bit of a, a, a peek behind the curtain, if you will, uh, to people so they have a better idea and help people make a more educated decision before they go to all the trouble to apply. If it's not something they're interested in or someone who's on the fence and doesn't know if they are, hopefully it encourages somebody to, uh, you know, to, to do the application process. I mean, it takes all types. So Absolutely. And the other thing, too, is even when, like, writing doing a ride along or whatever. And obviously that officer is no, under no obligation to like spice things up or sure. Like, it's just, you're, I mean, sometimes you're going to get that old, old crotchety dude. That's like, ah, everything sucks. Or you can get that young guy. That's like, ah, let's go, let's go get the big stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, obviously going through a couple of ride alongs to help kind of manage that. But, um, I mean, I think that, yeah, it definitely, but the issue is, it's like, it, it, it is different people that do it. So you can talk to one person and their, you know, ex- experiences may vary. Right. So, mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, uh, I think that one thing that helps in this job is, you know, that previous life experience and, and just having, knowing the other, and then I'm not saying you have to like work 15 years doing something else and then transition over, but I've seen definitely a difference in people that have previous life experience, been around the block a time or two with some other stuff coming into this job versus brand new. Now we all arrive at the same place down the road, right? Mm -hmm. We all get to that point. But um, when it comes to just how people interact with the public, how they interact with each other, how they are when things get a little more stressful, like managing that kind of stuff, I see, I, I see definitely some some benefit in uh, in previous some sort of previous experience, whether it's military or something else. Just uh, that's what I was going to say. Not only military, no, either. We got guys who've done corporate and then realized in their thirties, you know, I've always wanted to be a cop. Yeah, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I want to you know try something before I get too old and they do it and they love it and they excel. Yeah. Um, you know, it really, it, it, it truly does take all, all ties. One of my dearest friends on this department, um, I always like to go out and, you know, hunt drugs and 
game bangers, do traffic stops and all that kind of stuff. And always found myself in various um, predicaments as a result of that style of policing. And one of my best friends here was the opposite. He like, he, he enjoyed going to calls. He go, he, he go to calls. He, you know, kiss babies, all that kind of good stuff. Um, but he just wasn't going out there trying to um, do the same things I was doing. And uh, when I first, first started, I, I had in my mind what the this idea of a good cop was. And I, uh, obviously I tried to emulate what that was going to be. And so uh, I did what I thought was the right thing. But the day I realized what you said, it takes all types. Um, the the way that I, pre- I police is just as, as vital as the way that he did or, or some other people. That was a, a, was a day of revelation, I guess, for me to not, not be quite so judgmental of the way other people do the, the job. There's multiple right answers. I mean, yeah, that's, and that's a great thing about the job too, is that, um, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not answering a call, like you go do you mm-hmm. like, if you want to go to the park and uh, play basketball with the local kids. Cool. Yep. You want to go sit up on a dope house and make some stops and you know, get some dope. Cool. You want to look up some warrants to serve? Go do that. Cool. So like, it definitely is a place where you can excel, but, uh, the double edged sword on the other side of that is you're going to go to calls and those you don't get to pick. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you can pick doing that stuff and that's, that's what you like. But if you're not the type of person that can't handle some of the calls, then, then you know, you're not going to make it long enough to, to find out what you like and what you don't like. So there's definitely a, it does take all types, but there's definitely at the core, I think definitely a type that makes a, a good police officer, a uh, one that has longevity. Styles. Different yeah, there's different styles. there's different styles because the people talking to kids are gonna can get the same intel off mm-hmm. of you know local dope houses. Somebody, you know, squeezing the the dopers they just arrested or whatever. So you got yeah, you definitely have to look at uh, at the whole like the whole spectrum, but also be good at multiple parts of that spectrum. You can't just be can't be a heavy hitter all the time, right? That that oh, doesn't absolutely. that doesn't work. And then even if and the way that you talk to somebody in one part of the city isn't the same way you're going to talk to somebody in another part of the city, right? Sure. You, you know, you talk to some people the, the way that you talk to these people. Like, these people think you're super cool and, and helpful and all that stuff, and these people would call and complain. Like, it, yeah. so you have to be multiple things for multiple different people when you're doing it. And it's not a matter of like you're lying or, or, or coming across as uh, disingenuous. It's just people need different things. And I mean, we're a melting pot in this country, and like, there's people from all different backgrounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they need to be interacted with in certain ways. And you can't, can't be a robot. You can't be a, but you can't interact with them the same way. Otherwise you're just not going to, not to get through with them. And well, Katie's story is a great example of that because there's certain parts of the city. If you go to and you ask someone, if they're looking for work, they're going to know you're talking about crack. And yeah. then there's other parts. That if you ask them if they're looking for work, they're going to turn around and point to their $750,000 house and say, who do you think you're talking to? Right. So it's like, do you need a job? Like, right. you know, are you looking for work? Like <laughs> yeah. I own the, I own the business. I am, I'm the, I'm the boss. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, de- yeah, definitely for sure. And, and I think that the, the more that you can, you can experience, um, you know, in your personal life too, um, getting out and experience different people and stuff like that. It's all, I mean, it's just a matter of, of the great thing about doing this job that I, that I appreciate the most is the fact that I'm interacting and meeting people that I would never meet or interact with at all if left to myself and the military was also another great place that i noticed that in in basic training was like i was like here i was this this semi-sheltered i mean i was homeschooled right so going like homeschooled all the way up and then joining the army like like, and then not just joining the army but i joined as an infantryman which is like the lowest barrier like 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 
Like all the guys that barely pass the entrance test, barely pass the ASVAB. I'm like, all right, well, you can go be an infantryman or whatever, just because I wanted, I wanted to go fight. So it's like I, I showed up at, at basic training with like all these people from like all walks of life. There was a guy, I had a guy in my basic training that, that he quit his doctorate program and cause he, cause he saw like all the, the wars going on and wanted to contribute. So here's this guy oh, with wow. like advanced education. Now he's, He's in the same infantry platoon as me, this homeschooled, sheltered dude. Uh, and then there was like, not too far from me, it was like this dude who used to gangbang in Corpus Christi. Like, like all together, it's like, okay, these these are people that I would have never met, like if left to myself. Right. Um, may, I mean, maybe the guy like for the doctorate, all right, just because of the thing. But the vast majority was just like a whole bunch of people that get to that got thrown together in basic training. And then it continued on in the different units, right? You show up to mm-hmm. units and you're all in the same job or, or you have the same assignments, but like, these are people that you wouldn't have ever met and interacted with. And in the police world, I could show up every day and meet and interact with people that, that I would have never interacted with any other time or at all. And it's like, it's the, you're, you're getting a full education on the, the full spectrum of, of the human condition. And then if you can, I mean, if you can work and travel overseas or, or to other places, you're, you're expanding that. I mean, it's, it really is, goes beyond just like cops or live PD. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's, if you really look at the core, we, we are, if there's anybody that's more educated on the, 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 the social aspects of the, of the United States, the social aspects of the human condition, it's mm-hmm. cops, yep, right? Absolutely. Um, and it, because we, we dive into when people, when they're, they're in crisis, but we're also meeting and interacting with people that aren't right. People, right. We have all those events and stuff like that. So you are all over and you can g- literally go from, yeah, that call where you did CPR on a, on a three month old and, and wasn't able to save it and then turn immediately around and, and say, Hey, uh, you know, Sarge is like, Hey, I need you to go to this event over here. You know, mm-hmm. like you're going to have coffee with some of the, the city leaders. And it's like that transition and then back to, then maybe like an hour after that, you're in a car chase that goes into, you know, Dallas and, a, and they bail out and you, 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 now you're in a foot chase and, you know, some hood in Dallas. Right. So it's like, you're, you're definitely this, this person that gets such a view. And if you don't, if you don't take advantage of that and you just kind of view this as a job and, and don't, don't view the, the, the experiences that you have, I think you're missing out on, on like a whole part of this job. That's, that's very, uh, very valuable because in the, in the end, you know, you're sitting down and you got your grandchild on your knee and whatever. Your grandchild's not going to be like, well, tell me about the uh, sergeant's test, dad. Like, no, like, or like they want to, they want to know like, hey, dad, like, hey, grandpa, well, like, yeah. tell me, tell me about that time that you chased that car to Dallas and yeah. that guy ran and you tackled him as he jumped over the fence or something like that. Like, right. or, you know, hey, tell me about that time that you talked that guy off the bridge from jumping. Like, these are the stories that, that tell and, and it's, it's not just stories, it's, these are these are moments in time where your path crosses somebody else that may never cross again, but that you would have never had that opportunity to cross paths with had you had you just not done this job. Or and and it's not saying that there's if you work another job that oh that's pointless or whatever. I just think that we miss the opportunity to use the the obligations in our lives, so jobs, that kind of thing as the ability to reach out, interact with people we normally wouldn't mm-hmm. find stories and then just to kind of expand your knowledge about the, about humanity. So I think that uh, no matter where you're at or what job you're doing, like, yeah, your job could suck. Maybe you hate it. I love my job, thankfully, but I, I get that. That's not, not, not the norm, but if you don't take the time to actually see the opportunity that you have, 
because you didn't pick the people you work with, right? right. Unless you're the unless you're the owner. Um, to uh, to expand your knowledge on how deep humanity actually goes, then uh, I think you're missing an opportunity, like a valuable opportunity. Well, I would say it probably speaks to if there's anybody listening that is kind of on that fence, like thinks, hey, maybe this job was something I'm interested in. Um, I think putting it the way you put it would probably be a good thing for them to hear um, as far as taking that, that step and, and trying to expand their, their base of knowledge. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, it's kind of the, uh, the, I've tried to live my life in that of trying to understand more about the world around me through mm-hmm. people. Cause when, when do we strip away? Like if, if people is what matters, right. And, and good or bad, like that's, that's honestly what matters in this world is, is people, all the systems in this world are all for the benefits of people. And, and so I, you know, anytime that I've done anything or, or, or tried to like jobs in the military, jobs on the outside, it's like, I've, I've just tried to, to expand just my experience on the terrain of, of, of humanity. And I mean, I think that, and honestly, it's, it, it, it's easy to say if, if you've had experiences uh, outside of your own like neighborhood and stuff like that, I, I, I get that. Um, but even like, have you truly talked to your neighbor? Right. Or do you just wave at them? Like your neighbor's got a whole backstory. Like mm-hmm. if you just dive into, you might, you might not realize. And I mean, the thing about this podcast is like, you're sitting down with people and having these, these conversations, like we would never spend, uh, you know, hours, just talking about random stuff, right? Like, yeah, no. So you're, sure. you're, you're finding out pe- things about, about people and officers and, and that wouldn't probably have come up in normal conversation just because mm-hmm. you don't dive past right. some of the normalities. Um, cause like we, we all know each other, right? We've all worked each other with each other for several years, but like we don't know, you know, each other. We haven't, I didn't know you're on your right. Didn't know you're homeschooled. Yeah. Um, they mean, and these are things like, why, like, why would that, like at, at, yeah, yeah I'm pushing. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pushing forty. It's like, why would I talk about my my undereducation or whatever? And so it's like, <laughs> it's like, why would like that, that's the kind of stuff come up? But and I mean, I even homeschooled college because I got a college degree online. So like, oh wow, <laughs> like so, like I, that I makes thought, great. I, I, thought Look, I was sheltered awesome. growing up. That's why. No, no, no. That's the best route to go. I still owe twenty five thousand dollars. Well, the army paid for. I mean, I, I got. It took me eight years to get college. Which, Consequently, it was eight years served in the army. It was like the same uh, amount of time. So, yeah. I mean, I tell people I could have been a doctor just based on the time it took me to get a degree, but I only have a <laughs> right. bachelor's. But it was free, and I got paid while I was doing it. And yes, they and sent me some places, and there were some delays and whatnot. But um, um, it's definitely yeah. So, yeah. but that, I mean, that edu- ed- passing education, like this, the older you get, the less less that comes up. So a lot, a lot of times, people just don't realize. I mean, there's a lot of people here that. They still like to make fun of me for being homeschooled and stuff like that, but yeah, no, I was homeschooled too, and nobody really knows it or, or mentions it. And it was funny because growing up, that was such a huge deal. Oh, um, dude, in the early like nineties, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Woo. yeah. Like, we got stopped by like we'd be out like at HEB and I, in Texas, uh, like has a lot of like really loose laws when it comes to homeschooling, and we'd be at, like HEB or, or Walmart or whatever, and like somebody'd be like. Why aren't you guys in school? That we, I remember we got detained by, uh, <laughs> like literally, I was like a, I don't know, a teenager. We were, we were out like front doing something, and uh, this is like in the middle of the day on a Wednesday or whatever it is, and and um, I didn't live in the Austin city limits. I was lived outside, so I think it was probably like, I don't know, Williamson County or whatever that, but like you drove by, 
and then turned around and they came and pulled up and like detained us in the front yard. Like, why, wait, why aren't you guys in school or whatever? And we're all like, well, we're, we're homeschooled. Like, right. and my mom wasn't there. Like I was old enough right. to, to like, and it was, I was there with a buddy who was also homeschooled. So we were, we were like, the moms were off doing something and we were all there with the, uh, the siblings and all that stuff. And, uh, then when we got detained and then we're like, well, we're homeschooled. Like, so it's we, 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 should, yeah, we shouldn't be in school or whatever. <laughs> and it wasn't like we were out there like waving guns around or trying to light a tree on fire. Like, we were just like, Running and running around being kids, right? That's so all chemistry, <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, if you really, I mean, if you really look look at it, anything is really homeschooling. So, like, like you sure. can uh, you can really break it down that way. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't a thing in the in the early nineties. That was just unheard. Now it's it's whatever. Like it, it it definitely has caught on. I think it's more of an option for people. And then with COVID, like that, people some oh, people really yeah. hated it. But you know, back in the day, yeah, it was like we were like blazing new territory when it came to, to to homeschooling and stuff and i mean i don't think i missed out on anything i just i think the army gave me enough of a it jump starts uh, enough, sure. yeah enough, enough in education especially there dude basic training was like a wake-up call and i was like what up like <laughs> I, I bet like i was like man these like i didn't realize that there's like these kind of people and here i by the time that i graduated high school i've been to like I don't know, like 10 or 11 countries and like 35 states and so like i'd been to all these places so i thought i was like yeah, I've seen some stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've been around. I seems to no, I did not. Like I, I shouldn't have thought that because when I went <laughs> to basic training, yeah, you know, starting out as an infantryman, it was like, whoa, like this is a whole level. This is on a whole different level. Some of these 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 people that yeah. that are that are out there, and then now that I'm like attached to for even like deployments and stuff like that, just uh, I mean, it's it's uh, definitely yeah, definitely a, a wild transition from uh from homeschooling into the into the army but and that's just profanity yeah that was just well <laughs> dude i learned some words for things that i didn't know existed and mm. it was like there was there were some things where they were talking about and i'm granted i'm not gonna say i'm here but it was like i don't like i don't know what that means i think i know what they mean but that's like i'm, I'm sitting there in the corner like listening for context clues like yeah. trying to figure out what this is slang for yeah. and it was like 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 so it's like i'm just in the corner like oh my god like like this is just like a whole new whole new education in in english american slang like here, yeah here i That's like cool. one time like i was like growing up and i was like wow one time i said damn like like that <laughs> now now i'm in the army and people are uh people got names for everything it's like yeah i don't think i should say that around my mom like, like that's definitely probably not something uh it's like i'm and then you you don't want to be the guy that's like hey guys uh what does that mean? Like, you don't want to be yeah, that guy be that like guy. around this guy. Cause they're, I mean, they're already kind of looking at you like, eh. yeah, he doesn't know anything. No, yeah, then, you don't have a choice. Cause like they don't just name things. They also like the F word, for instance, is a very uh, broadly used verb. There's a lot of applications for it and all of its variations. And so they say, Hey, go get the radio. And they want you to try to get it to work or get signal or whatever else. But the, the profanity laden verb, the combination that they use to describe that is nothing close to what they practically want you to do. So then you're just standing there looking at the radio, like you want me to do what to this? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, they want to try to make themselves out like, Oh, we're a professional fighting force. It's like, have you seen your people? Yeah. Like, Oh, that they're good at their job. Believe me, we're good at breaking stuff. Like, yeah. like, like, like real good, but it's like professionals. Yeah, like not like so not so much, especially if you're on the enlisted side. I'm sure the officer side probably like okay, we're all posh and oh, we're yeah. officers. But yeah, on the enlisted side, it's just a uh, yeah wild, 
wild ride when especially when you start getting into the the combat mos's and and the ones where like like it's uh it's not just about doing your job but like you're doing your job like under fire or like your whole job is to go break things and now you're with these people that like you go from like oh man this person's kind of a little out there to like oh man i'd i'd kick a door and, and go in a room with you like 100 percent. Yeah. like it's that that transition and, and it's like some of these people i don't like I was super good friends with and, and you know, relied on like my life type type thing without being too like over the top. Um, but I don't talk to them anymore just because we were so different. The only, our only similarities was like, yeah. Oh yeah. That one time we were in a unit kicking a door in in Baghdad and, and then you like, you have this connection and you hang out and you do that stuff. And then like, you just go your separate ways. I mean, the military is, the military is very, it fractures people like that because the minute you come back from deployment, now people are doing this, picking up this rank and going here and moving away mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So you really don't have, excuse me, you don't have those uh, those long long relationships. Um, but the uh, yeah, you definitely definitely learn that you know people's backgrounds or what they like or whatever doesn't mean a whole lot when you know bullets are flying and when Absolutely. when you get to those uh, <clears throat> those instances and it's like, well, can you do the job and can you do the job well? Can you do under fire? And, and uh, definitely don't get that in a whole lot of other jobs. Um, so, um, I mean, I'm having an experience that was, uh, I mean, I'm glad, but you definitely uh, definitely get to know people and have a completely different education. Yeah. Um, speaking on the education subject, uh, I know you, you kind of made a comment that you didn't believe that you missed out on much being homeschooled. You have uh, kids of your own, correct? Mm-hmm. How many? Four. That's right. What's your what's your planned approach? I, I, I'm not familiar with their with the ages, but what's your planned approach as far as ed- education goes? So I got yeah, I got four boys. Um, they're all within five years. So the youngest oh, wow. and the oldest are within five years. We we did that on purpose. Um, going back to that whole like being naive and and then having education. Well, we wanted kids close in age because we wanted them to be friends. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's a pretty big spread on on my siblings from me to my sister and then to my brother. Um, I tried that too. But man, that's really, really hard. They just fight all the time. Oh God. Especially to get older. So we've homeschooled them up until actually this year. Today was actually all four of them's first day in school. No We're way. Sent, yeah. We sent them to a, um, a private school um, that uh, we enrolled them in. So um, I just, so my wife's a nurse and uh, so she works shift work just like me. You know, I've got the schedule with, you know, I've got the deployment schedule and then I've got, um, SWAT stuff. Deployment being the, the, the yeah, the assignment. deployment unit, yeah, being my, my primary assignment here. And then um which that has a set schedule, but obviously that can change at the drop of the hat, kind right. of nature of the unit. And then um, you know, SWAT stuff, and then I teach at the academy on occasion. So it's just like my wife and I realize as the kids got older that with our current occupations and my wife works part time, but still it's so she's her 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 work is varied as well, her her shifts and, and stuff like that. We just couldn't provide the um consistency. Right. structure that especially um as, as my 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 oldest is eight um you can't like he wants that he wants like to learn stuff he wants that consistency and we couldn't really provide that for him so that's why we made the decision then to to send him to school and and i mean i'm not a hardcore anything like like what worked for me or, or growing up i'm not gonna sit there and say work for for like my kids oh, right so yeah. so we're willing to try try anything and uh 
you know, if they love it, they love it. If they don't, then we can, we can find something else for them. But, um, I think especially for, I think my kids are going to get out of it. What they, uh, I think they're going to enjoy the, uh, the structure and whatnot, but, um, there's homeschooling is still something that we do. It's just like, okay, we send them to, they go to school and they get their, their subjects, they come home and then now I teach them stuff, right? Like, so the homeschooling still aspect, if you're not constantly trying to teach your kids something, then you're letting somebody else like completely influence and mold their mind. So, um, I agree. So, yeah. So if you, once I have them at, at home, then I, then I teach them other stuff. I give them the opportunities to get into stuff, to teach, to, uh, to learn, to learn new things. And I, I learned new things then to teach them or learn things alongside of them. You just, you, you have to continue to, to learn. And so homeschooling never stops. Like, sure. like it's like, let's say homeschooling, people always think of like some, like I'm locked in a compound somewhere, like, yeah, you know, you the no women friends. wearing long dresses and, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, yeah, I'm like five mm-hmm. years old with like an Amish beard or whatever, but I mean, it's just not, not the, not the case. Um, so, I mean, homeschooling is something that just like, if you don't teach your kids, somebody else is going to, and theoretically everybody should be doing it on some level. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. if it's just like, here's how you change a tire. Here's, yeah. here's uh like, instead of just yelling at them, don't touch the therm- thermostats. Like, well, here's how the thermostat works. And like actually like kind of teaching them stuff and don't, don't get me wrong. I still yell at them from touching the thermostat. I was going like, to say, that's a terrible No, example. no, no, yeah, it is. I still You're yell at them. To. I still yell at them because uh, with, with the way it's the prices, electric, energy prices are right now, yeah. like, like, I don't know if I can afford to have a house if you keep touching the thermostat, but it's just like giving the opportunities to, to learn, learn stuff. Cause you know, you bump into those people that's on the side of the road and, and you pull up and they're stranded. They got flat tire or whatever. And you pull mm-hmm. up in your police car and you're like, Hey, what's going on? It's like, oh, I have a flat tire and I don't know how to change it. And it's like, right. Like, how, how are you an adult? Don't know how to, like, the basics of changing a tire. Like, you should have, like, an idea of, like, okay, do, do you even have the equipment? Like, bare minimum, do you have what you need right. to? So, um, just just making sure, I just want my kids to be useful people. And right. and uh, if I think that uh, the more useful you are as a person, the, the easier life can be. But also, it's just you get to the point where, like, like you are, as, as times get harder or better or whatever, you stay the same. You have the same skills that could be used regardless. And you're not kind of behind the power curve. So, I mean, that's one reason why I moved out where I, where I am with the, having a farm and stuff like that. It was just because. That's what gives, I was going to ask how much of that you were talking about with, as I far mean, as teaching them different things out of the ordinary, how much of that was talking about the farm? I mean, I think it's, honestly, the farm's more for me than anything else. Like, I'm I'm the animal guy. So, like, I'm the guy that brings rain. Actually, I, I literally just brought in two rabbits yesterday. Uh, so I've got two rabbits now on top of all the other animals I got. So, um, so I, yeah, I've always been an animal guy. And I think now I just, when you get enough money that you can actually like do what you wanted to do when you're like younger. So that's, right. that's kind of with that. But um, yeah, with them, it's, it, there is a lot of aspects of that, of, of farming, um, having animals, having land that you don't get anywhere else. So, um, and it's not just practical things like, like yeah, like catching goats to hold them down to give them their yearly shots, or you know, feeding the rabbits, or or, or you know, trying not to get bit by the pigs or whatever it may be. Um, but also like, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> like you're you're being a, exposing them to stuff like, like if you have a lot of animals and you have some land, like you're gonna ex- you're gonna expose to conversations such as like death, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like with, with chickens and animals, um, like I lost. Lost a goat of his last little mini freeze that we had a few months ago. Lost one of my one of my goats, and it's like you go out there and it's just laying there. It's like, well, mm-hmm. it's not like, and it's not a pet, right? Like, 
I mean, they are, but it's not like this the family dog that passed away. It's just it's 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 livestock, and and same thing with like chickens. Chickens are always dying. They're like like the 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 red shirt guy in Star Trek, right? They're the expendable <laughs> crewmen. They're just of the farm. They're just constantly dying. Like something's getting them, or they're accidentally killing themselves, or whatever. So there there's a lot of the aspect of of being able to talk about a lot of things in life from a more practical um, aspect because I think a lot um, if we don't once again, talk about with our kids and people with about those kind of things. They're going to get it from video games. They're going to get it from the TV. Like get it from, kids. And I just, I, and I'm not saying it's all bad, but um, it's most it, of it is. It, 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 it's a matter of trying to capture, capture the mind of your child um, early on before somebody else can. And so that's kind of, and I, I'm not saying I'm an expert or I do. I'm such a great, such a great dad. I, you know, best dad, number one dad, best dad of the year. I got a mug to prove it. But it just, just exposing them to to those opportunities in a in a controlled environment to have those conversations and and to feel emotions and 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 all that kind of stuff. Because you know, I got some kids that are like some like my oldest is very sensitive. So like like the animal's dying. He's like a, like he feels that even sure. if it's even even if it's like. Bro, you didn't even know I had this goat, but still, it's just like he 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 sees it there and he and he, and he yeah. feels the feels. You know, I got I got my third born. It's like like poking it with a stick, right? Like so, <laughs> it, it, there's definitely it gives them room to to feel a, a place where they they can kind of explore those aspects, um, try to have those conversations before, you know, and and, and hopefully kind of guide them into a, a more more healthy um, aspect of that. Just because I think that I think if you get desensitized to that stuff too too much um so i think that so i, I really st- struggled after so after i got back from afghanistan i really really struggled like like straight ptsd mm-hmm. um it was and it was something where i i don't it wasn't denial but i don't think i i really knew just because life hadn't slowed down enough because i'm i mean there was like an overlap so i went straight from the army got out of the army there's actually a two-week overlap of starting the academy where i was technically still in the army right at the end at the right. end of your, your your enlistment or whatever you burn all your leave and it's called terminal leave oh. so i was on leave from the army at the same time that i was going to the police academy so there was a there was a slight overlap there and and so it's like there was no slowing down. There was like, man, I had to figure out how to move from West Texas to get over here. We got to get an apartment. I got a six month old infant and, and a wife and, and all this other stuff. So life never slowed down. Then right in the police Academy and they're out of police Academy and FTO and they're right on the streets. Now I'm on night shift and all this action's happening. And, and so it was like all of, all of this stuff. And, and, and part of that is, you know, stemmed from being very young and impressionable joining the army. And, the, and especially when you join as like, like I said, an infantry man, what's the, what's the job of the infantry? Like the job of the infantry is to go break things, yep. kill things, break things. That's, that's literally the job of the infantryman. You are here, go to Iraq and, and, and break things like go to Iraq, be the, be the hammer, go to Afghanistan, do, do this. So even from a young age and you're just like, no one's ever really poor, like say, like giving you a gun, giving you some skills and been like, you are a lethal, like, like as a young man, you're like, Oh wow, that's, I mean, that's awesome. So, and then they desensitize you to the violence and the killing that you're going to, you're going to see and you're going to, you're going to hear and you're going to experience smell and you're going to experience. Um, and then you go do it. Right. So, and it's necessary, right? You can't, you can't have guys that are not somewhat desensitized to that. Cause especially when like the dudes, you know, are getting hurt and killed and, and blown up and shot and all this other stuff. But I don't, it was the, the military does that for their purpose so it's not necessarily the most healthy thing, right? Right. And then if you don't... Well, and when they're done with you, that's the other thing. 
It's, oh yeah, there's no. They'll, they'll desensitize you so you can do your job. They send you, you do your job, you kill, you die, you whatever, and then you're done. And yeah, once you okay, once you've thanks. told them, yeah, like hey, uh, I don't coming. think I'm gonna reenlist. They're like, all right, next. You know, it's like so. There's there's yeah. no, and then they're just kind of like, all right, and then then, bam, out on your own. Like you you figure that stuff out. So so no program uh, to get you accustomed to mm-hmm. where you're going. That's crazy. I don't know if it's improved over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I doubt it. Like, yeah. why? Why are they going to invest so much money and on, on your way out? Yeah. Right? They can't use. Versus that. They're not going to. Yeah, versus coming in, That's and then crazy. it's just you're just. I mean, your number is expendable. So, yeah. So part of that, and then through through deployments and everything, you push down that a lot of that emotion and and, and stuff like that. And um, so I don't think that as a young man that I really, I don't think I really processed a lot of that or or viewed it from a very healthy. Because once again, kind of excuse me, kind of being sheltered. Like I didn't play violent video games growing up. I didn't um, watch violent movies. Like, like my parents weren't like super strict and I was like this super sheltered. No, they just, there were certain rules in the house and they, they didn't like that kind of stuff. So we didn't watch it. Um, so I don't know if anybody really talked to me about that early on about that aspect of life, which is a hundred percent aspect of life. All, all those aspects of life this is actually aspects of humanity. So, um, went to Iraq as an infantryman, you know, and, uh, honestly I had a good time, but it still affects you. And what I mean, and then I can't be honest, I'd say, Oh, you went to war and had a great time. You psychopath. No, it's just like the Iraq was a lot of like, like the, the, the stuff I saw in the recruiting video, right. It was the right. stuff I got to do in Iraq. So it was kind of, kind of, I felt, it felt more like, you know, what we, what we, and what we joined to do. And there were, there was obviously moments, uh, you know, sheer terror and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't to, to, to that level. Um, so even then it was kind of like, okay, I kind of got eased into it. And then I reenlisted and cause when I was in Iraq, um, I saw like the EOD guys. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so in Iraq, I went to Iraq in like 2009. EOD being the, uh, explosive, explosive ordnance disposal. So I went in 2009, you know, her locker stuff. Yeah. Her locker stuff. Right. But we don't. Right. Don't yeah. Know. Not, just, not, for, but for, not her locker stuff. People, yeah, yeah. Right. So, <laughs> So in Iraq, we, uh, we had, it was 2009. It was kind of the, I went right to the post end of the, the surge of 2007, right? So when they just pumped it full and just completely crushed any kind of like organized insurgency in, in, in Iraq. So by the time I went, there was like pockets of, of insurgency. So we were, our job was to kind of go through and try to like hunt down these little pockets and local gangs that were popping up trying to, trying to do stuff. So a lot of door kicking, a lot of doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, when I went over there, I was a, I was, I was a uh, a sniper team leader um, attached to our reconnaissance platoon. So I did a lot of like Overwatch um, during the day, doing a lot of Overwatch missions, uh, sniper type stuff. And then at night we we uh, Overwatch where you're you're like elevated, looking over your own guys. Yeah, sure so like in, inserting in and then being that that uh, big picture, like being able to look at the big picture. And so um, and then at night got to kick in doors and stuff. So a lot of a lot of cool stuff, right? Like all that that the cool stuff, but. Um, there was still like we're still dealing with with some IEDs. We're still um, dealing with car bombs. There's still some suicide bombers. There's like a lot of that kind of stuff. And I remember like we, less of like the the just these long drawn out firefights. Most of our our stuff was like super quick because the, the bad guys knew that if they tried to draw us in too long, they're gonna get smoked because we're gonna bring in helicopters and all this other kind of stuff. So so not really just like a lot of that little stuff. But man, I I, I kept bumping into the the EOD guys and these EOD guys are out there like taking care of the IEDs and they're doing like these post-blast investigations. And I was like, 
man, these guys, these guys are on the forefront of what we're fighting here because it's like IEDs is all over. Like that's like the vast majority of casualties in the global war on terror is from IEDs. So when I re-enlisted, I thought it'd be a good idea to like, hey, let's 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 try this EOD thing. Like let's let's wow. let's go try to play with bombs. Like uh, that, those guys seemed like the, it was pretty pretty cool little uh, pretty cool thing. So um, volunteered for that. But what I didn't realize, once again, you don't realize until you're there. Of like, so I graduated, went through EOD school, uh, made my way through EOD school, graduated that. And then when I went to my first unit as an EOD guy, it was like, like no time to breathe. They're like, prepare for Afghanistan. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's do, let's do it. Like I've already been in Iraq. Let's, let's go to Afghanistan. Um, If you don't mind me asking, were you married during this time? No. Okay. So actually, um, I met my wife through some mutual friends when I got stationed out in West Texas. So I got stationed out in West Texas and then, uh, met my wife through some mutual friends and, uh, she was the college roommate to my buddy's girlfriend. Okay. So they, she came out, we were hanging out or whatever. Um, it was love at first sight for me. Um, uh, it was not love at first sight for my wife. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, apparently I, I, I grew on her a little bit because uh, six months later we got married. Um, oh, wow. So from, yeah, from the time that I introduced myself to her to like, yeah, you know, you like it, put a ring on it type, uh, type thing yeah, was, yeah. was like six months. Yes, and, and, and part of that was because we're coming down on a deployment to Afghanistan. It was like, okay, do sure. I either, do I, do, do I wife her up now or do I try to like go through a whole deployment? Right. Plus low key, there's like financial benefits to being Big married on deployment. Bunch. So like, <laughs> yeah. like, I, I mean, that's what really sealed the deal with her. She's like, eh, I don't really like you, but like the extra 12 grand <laughs> yeah. we'd make or whatever is like, like sold. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Second. No, so yeah, so kind of got out of that. Went to uh, went to Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan was not fun. It was not like my first deployment. Like it was like really, really violent, really, really scary, really, really. Yeah. Uh, just as an EOD guy, I was overworked. We couldn't like we we just. I don't think we knew what to expect when we got there because most of the guys in my unit had all been to Iraq. Some of them had been to Iraq as EOD guys. There's only been a handful that had been to Afghanistan. And out of those guys, only a couple of them had been as EOD guys. So um, A lot of people forget that those two theaters are vastly different. Oh my gosh, so different. Because it's like one has the infrastructure of like a big city. Like Iraq's fairly modern. Like they have computers. They have internet. They have skyscrapers. They have like, you know, uh, flyovers and, and mm-hmm. all this other and paved roads. Afghanistan has none of that. It's literally stuck in 2,000 years ago. There's no infrastructure. You're still an outpost. I mean, it reminded me kind of like the, some of the stories that, that my grandfather, my grandfather fought in Korea as an infantryman where they would just have these outposts on top of these mountains. And they were right. like, all right, uh, good luck. Mm-hmm. Don't die. And it's like, and, and then they, they just had to survive on top of these mountains. And that's kind of the same feel. It's like, got there and it's like, all right, get pushed out to these outposts. And like, not there was nothing, like we didn't really use our vehicles. It was all dismounted. Um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of violence, a lot of violence. Um, like there was, I mean, a day didn't go by where somebody didn't get hit. It was just like constant of guys getting hit, you know, killed, wounded, and not just like wounded, but we're talking like torn apart. Um, That's what I was going to ask. How much of that do you think is influenced by your new role being EOD? I mean, but the, the thing about that is like, so what I saw in Iraq was EOD res- has their own like transport security mm-hmm. and then they get called out and they roll out and they go take care of the thing and they may have a follow-on mission and they go that and eventually they make it back 
Afghanistan wasn't like that. Afghanistan was like, I'm out there and it's like, all right, you're going on this seven day op with the infantry guys. So you ruck up, get on a helicopter, get in a vehicle, whatever they drive you. And then for seven days, for four days, for five days or whatever it is, you're out like trying to get to the places that the bad guys were um, because it couldn't get like you. Like they go there purposely because we can't get there by vehicle or like, like mm-hmm. that's why they're there is because that's, that's where they can actually operate. So it was, uh, it was like being an infantryman again, but then I had this additional responsibility of like clearing all these explosive hazards, doing, doing the, um, post blast analysis whenever the, uh, the, the, the IEDs would go off. So, um, like it was like out of my company, like a quarter of my company got wounded, including myself. So I got wounded twice when I was in Afghanistan. Um, one of our team leaders got killed um, of the unit. So the way EOD works is like whenever you come down on deployment, there's another, there's a big unit like comes down on deployment. And so then it's like, oh, okay, your, your EOD company's coming on deployment, this unit. All right, you're going with them. And then they send you over. Mm-hmm. So um, I was supporting uh, one of our airborne units, one of the paratroopers. And so it's light infantry. They don't like vehicles. They like to be on foot. I mean, they're it's the Marine Corps of the uh, the Army, right? Gotcha. They're just out there. They like they're gung ho and and just very aggressive. And so, out of the the unit, the battalion that I was supporting, keeping my battalion's like eight hundred people, and it was my three man team that's to support all the operations for this eight hundred man battalion. Jeez. And so, it was just like constant going here and there and everywhere. But out of that, like like all all of the first their first sergeants got wounded. Their command sergeant major got wounded. One of the replacement first sergeants got wounded. Like wow. it was just like. Uh, one of the platoon leaders that I was in the company that I lived with, he got wounded three times. Um, wow. Like the, uh, one of my team members got wounded. Um, like my, the company I was with, they had like three KIA and I don't even know how many wounded. I just, at first you start keeping track and then you kind of stop keeping track. Um, we had like an Air Force EOD team to come help us out, but one of their guys got, we're taking them away. We pulled uh, three, three EOD teams from a different part of Afghanistan that wasn't as busy. A bunch of them got wounded. So then, uh, then the unit back, our, our brigades or the big unit back in the States was like, Hey, we need team leaders. So they literally walked in to like the, the, the guys that were there, the EOD guys were like, Hey, we need team leaders. And so three guys volunteered. So they grabbed them straight from the States, sent them over. And after about two weeks of getting kitted up and stuff like that, so they sent them over. So we had them, like one of them got wounded. Um, it was just a, a very violent, violent time. And so nine months of that coming back, you know, I had the, uh, I struggled a lot and, uh, I didn't, I guess, realize it until, uh, until I got to, uh, I mean, I didn't really realize it at all. So it was just like, I had this transition from the, uh, from the, the military and the civilian world and immediately started a police job and there was like no slowing down. Well, what's the one thing that slowed us down? Like recently it was COVID COVID. Right. So because I hadn't really had the ability to process this stuff in a healthy way from the start, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to make sure that my, I know it's a long way to get to, I want to make sure that my kids um, start to, to kind of process this kind of stuff as, as this is life and in a healthy way, yeah. because otherwise, like I don't want them to try to, f- you know, final on the way, but 
you know, yeah. So coming back from Afghanistan, yeah, I struggled. Didn't really realize it. PTSD. I, I didn't really pick up the clues that my wife was giving me. And, and I thought everything was good. I'm like, I don't know. I was just busy. Like this is, this is, uh, I mean, this is, this is me, this is life or whatever. And it wasn't until like COVID hit that shut everything down, made even us slow down right. that I spent a lot more time with my family than I normally did. Um, building the farm, all that stuff that, that I realized actually, you know what? I'm probably not the best I could be mentally, right. physically as a father, as a, as a husband and everything. So, so seeking, uh, seeking help during that time, during that time of like, like slowing down in order to, you know, become a newer version of me. Right. But like, I, I didn't have the opportunity or anybody to really teach me how to process these things, these things, aspects about life in a healthy way. And so I think I, I want to be that for, for my kids. So having the farm out there, not only is a, is a relief for me as well, but it, it definitely helps, um, aspects of like life. Right. Cause I, mm-hmm. my, my goats have babies. My, I hatch out chicks all the time. I'm going to breed these rabbits, um, about, you know, life and about death and about how life happens and about, um, maintaining life or something else about having a mission in life, right. To taking care of something like all this stuff, it, it, it gives it a, a aspect where I can talk to my kids and develop them in, in what I believe is a, is a healthy manner to then prepare them to process these things that, that I didn't necessarily get right? because I just jumped you know, right into you know, life. So it's not a matter of, of sheltering them. I don't want to shelter them. I do. There's aspects I want to release to them and reveal to them in slow doses. Right. But um, long story short, that's why I have a farm. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> like, once upon a time, Joe had a farm and on that farm, he had animals. And because of that, he went to war and had all these emotional things and struggled with PTSD. And this is part of the healing. So like, that's honestly the, uh, the real aspect of why I am where I am with a, a small farm. Like I said, I got three, like it's three and a half acres. It's something that's easily manageable. I've got like 15 goats, 20 or 30 chickens, a couple of pigs, a couple of rabbits, a couple of dogs. Um, just, uh, not a crazy prepper. Though I will eat these animals if I have to. I was going like, to ask you that after. Oh, 100%. We're done. Yeah, for, in fact, uh, <laughs> not the, about the eating, about the name part. Well, uh, <laughs> do you name them? Uh, most of the goats have the names. Only one chicken has a name. The pigs have a name. But I tell you what, out of my two pigs that I have, I've got a big one and I got a little one. That big one is the first one I'm going to eat. I have all the animals on the farm. It's like, oh man, if we're, we're starving, it's like, yeah. Fergie, I'm coming for you. Fergie. <laughs> like, you, she, she is not, oh, not the nicest animal. Uh, I tolerate her. But I'm like, mm, that bacon's looking good, Fergie. It's like you better <laughs> better watch out. So uh, I've eaten some of the chickens and uh, obviously eat the eggs and stuff like that. But I haven't I haven't done anything with the goats. Uh, but I've had I've bred them. They've had babies. Um, I should be having if uh, if everything goes right. I should have babies in November, um, goat wise. And then I've got some chicks that are going to hatch out here in a couple weeks. So you have any goals for it beyond just like for your own personal kind of catharsis and, and um no yeah. i i mean it's my thing and i i do it i like it uh my wife lets me do it because she's not an animal person i try to actually so one of my pigs is like a formerly housebroken potbelly pig so it's like somebody's house hmm. pig right and i was like i was like babe let's have a house pig <laughs> and she was like absolutely not right i was like but who has a house pig right so <laughs> so uh i'm still working on that aspect i think uh I mean, I think that, uh, I think eventually, I think she'll eventually, uh, 
breakdown and, and, and let me bring the uh, the pig out. Because actually when I got the rabbits, so I so like rabbits can be housebroken too. I don't know if people knew this, but you can litter train a rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. So you can have a rabbit like running around like a cat. So it'll 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 be like, litter trained and, and they're fairly smart and stuff like that. So I so I asked her, I was like, so can I have a house rabbit? And she's and she was like, <laughs> I'd be okay with that. I was like, oh all right. So it's gonna start with the rabbit and end with the pig. So mark my words, that pig will be living in the house soon. I bet not. Yeah, I, I mean you're probably you're, you're probably right. So um, now she's put up a lo- with a lot. My wife, um, like I said, we got married before we even really knew each other, mm-hmm. and then we've been married for ten years. So it's a little over ten years, four kids. So she's definitely put up a lot with my nonsense. And uh, so if she doesn't want the pig in the house, all right, I want the pig in the house. The pig will come in the house when she's not there. So it's bad enough she has to sleep with one. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. That's uh, that's clever. All right. Well, Joe. If you had any advice for somebody that's coming into police world, um, especially those that are coming from military, what advice would you give them? Hmm. Um, prepare for the nudity. <laughs> uh, no, just. Um, I mean, the big thing is, is like, well, first off, before. And I'm not saying it's a requirement or whatever, but I definitely if you're transitioning from the military and, and now we have seen a lot of guys that are transitioning from the military that didn't have the ex, the extensive experience that maybe someone transitioning 10 years ago has. Right. right. Um, as it comes to, to overseas, um, overseas stuff. So I would say that uh, is like, first off, I would encourage it because it's, it's definitely a good thing. But I would definitely also say understand what you want in a job as, as you transition and uh like make sure you know what you're getting into so it comes back to that research ride-alongs and and talking to people mm-hmm. and all that stuff because listen cause to it, the podcast listen to yeah right so it may be like the tr- transition from the military is hard like because it's like we said it's like all right you want to do this anymore all right bye like yeah. get out um no with no no transition that kind of stuff so um i would definitely you know take stock of where you're at you know mentally because if you don't if you're bringing stuff over from the military, like I'm not, not just our PTSD, but any kind of that stuff, getting out away from that isn't going to solve it, especially if you're coming into this job because this job isn't going to help you with it. Like, no, no, it's just this. This job just gets you a different type, right? Like, it's a completely different type, like uh, of of stress and that kind of thing. So, I mean, I definitely coming in this job was, was a good transition out of the military, but it also was kind of a negative transition where I was mentally. So it's kind of like, just make sure that you take mental stock of where you're at and what you need for he- like healing and, and, and being in a better place. Cause I definitely, uh, I think I could be, I could be a lot further than I am mentally, physically, like all that had I had the opportunity to kind of pause for a second and take stock instead of jumping right into another job. That's just like, like the same kind of intensity and, and, and stress and all that kind of stuff. I was going to say, actually, whenever you first brought that up, because you kind of glossed over it a little bit, and I don't think you really gave yourself enough credit because the uh, you're coming back from you know, multiple combat deployments in the military and then jumping straight into not only a new job and a new profession with its own stresses, but you're going back to the academy. So you've spent your time in the military earning your place you know, not only through rank, but through your combat deployments, through being wounded. And then you're going back to another job that is less hardcore than what you just did. And they're telling you, okay, start over square one. 
yeah, earn your place, prove to us that you want to be here. And I'm sure that had to have been uh, a little bit difficult just as far as like, a, you know, I have earned, I've been earning, I've been spent 10 years earning. Now that's a, now that's a really good point. And uh, once again, kind of training at the, like at the Academy here um, and being FTO there, I, you definitely do see that in some of the military guys coming over. It's like, man, I like, no, I did all this cool stuff in the military. And it's like, no, we like that. Like we like the fact you have all that stuff, right? But like, it's <laughs> a different different, different place, right? It. So, yeah. I mean, I think it, it really based on personality. I think I was done with the army. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I had I made that decision. I was like, all right, I'm I uh, eight years. I've played it out. Like it, I'm I'm like I feel like it's a good stopping point. So I don't think I had as much of a chip on my shoulder because I did stuff and then. I know I was just, I was done with it. So I was like right. wanting that new. So like I didn't want or didn't need to hold on to the, the, the past. So that's good. It is definitely, I can see and, and, and I have seen it where, yeah, military guys come out and be like, man, I did all this, this cool stuff and this hard stuff. And, and maybe went to this school and that school or, or whatever, had this job field. And it's like, man, I like, now I got this guy that's like telling me that, you know, I was, two minutes late or my belt keepers are on wrong or whatever it is that they, they say. So I, it is definitely, I could see that being a, um, a hurdle. Um, but I don't know. I got to go home. I think like, obviously every Academy is different. Part. Like I mean, caveat that like every Academy is different. There are some that are very much like the military, like you yeah. get into like DPS and stuff like that. But, um, I don't know. It was just like, you show up, you put in the work, you learn some stuff, you do the best you can and you go home. Like right. it, so, and then, I, I yeah, I didn't really feel like I needed to wear my laurels per se. Yeah. Um, because it's like cool, but we're doing this now, so it's like right. it, it really didn't matter. Like I could sit there and pound my chest and be like, "Oh, I did all this stuff and I was this," and it's like, "Okay, cool." Anyway, so on this domestic violence uh, disturbance <laughs> scenario, you're gonna go in there and it's like, "All right, well, yeah, obviously, like." doing that stuff isn't going to necessarily help me on that. But, um, I think it's definitely, you have some value as a veteran. Um, you have some experiences, even if you, even if you, and believe me, I'm not saying like, Oh, if you didn't go to war, you're like your service was shit. Like, I'm not saying that you, you have, you have the ability to handle stress. You have, you, you've been through some stressful training. You've done, done some, some inoculation training, all that stuff. You have some valuable, um, skills and experiences that you can bring here, but, just understand it is a different environment. And if you're expecting it to be, to somehow make you better, like it's not right. Mm-hmm. You have, that's an internal thing. So if you're going to come here, pound your chest, wear your laurels, just talk about that one time that you did that one thing. Uh, I mean, you're going to, you're going to miss out on the, uh, you know, actually getting or being better. Cause it's right. like, why do, why do I want to be stuck in the, the time that I was 20 to 28? Right. right. That was eight years of my life. Yeah, it was, it was a great eight years of my life, but I'm not in, anymore, right? I'm, it's been, you know, I'm 36. So, like, that's that's years years later. Like, I'm not going to get stuck in when I'm 25 because being 36 is pretty awesome. Like, right. where, I'm at, where I'm at now is pretty awesome. I feel better now than I did back then. And it's like, you have to progress. So you have to, if you're transitioning from the military, you got to let it go, man. Like, you got right. you got to let that part go. Enter this new, new period. It is an awesome job. Believe me, you're going to get the same kind of, uh, mission focused training. You're going to get the, uh, the same, 
like having a mission and having a goal. You're going to get like-minded people. You're going to get all that stuff that you liked about the military in this job, but like, like you need to mentally transition. But at the same time, um, specifically for military veterans is take stock of where you're at mentally and help yourself out early on because this job isn't going to help you. It's probably going to make you worse or keep you stagnant. And if you don't actually take care of yourself, um, and any kind of baggage you might be bringing over, then uh, you're really not doing yourself a, a favor. And yeah. uh, I wish I wish I had realized that before. And I'm like, I, bad to kind of say it, but I mean, I'm glad that COVID slowed the things down that it did. And I'm not, we're obviously not going to get onto that that whole whole right. topic. No, I know but I know but COVID did slow everything down, including on policing, to the point where it's like, oh yeah, you know what? Well, I have been kind of just trying to like just just. Bury myself in work and be like, eh, whatever. Like, no, this is just it. And when, when it, I could have been a lot better earlier on. Well, cause they had us doing long rotations where if we're around someone who's, who's affected, then we're going home for X number of days. And it mm-hmm. went, for some people anyway, it worked out to where we're spending significant amounts of time. Dude, nine weeks. That's what I got. Nine weeks wow. of, of quarantine. It was to the end where I was like, no, please. I, no, I didn't get exposed. I didn't get exposed, please. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no. And it was also that brief period of time where uh, we were doing like, what, three days on, like 10 days off, and yeah. then like CID and the traffic yeah. and everybody else was like pitching in. And it was just like crazy. But you're just doing so much time at home. And it was like, yeah, you got all these projects done. But it, by the time I like, got all the fences up and built all the shelters that I wanted and all the animals, and I was kind of sitting there going, like actually having to like have these deep, conversations with my wife that like every man dreads but it's like i got nowhere to go like <laughs> like i'm stuck like I, i've traveled like there's nowhere open like I, so um and, and i say that jokingly because um it was definitely uh like help work through right. through that kind of thing and i think every even police officers whether you, you serve in the military or not needs to stop and take stock every once in a while like am i slipping like am i being worse or better than where i was a year ago because we should be progressively getting better well, and if we're not, is, then you're kind of like, well, what what do I need to to progress? I was going to say, I think the good thing is that I believe, because uh, I started this job a little, well, going on, I guess, 11 years ago, and I've seen a, a shift just in a short period. I've been doing the job, but I think the culture is changing in that the whole mental health aspect is becoming more acceptable to talk about. Um, because if if you show up and are dealing with the job and you think that, hey, maybe I bit off more than I can chew or any number of issues you might come across, there's a bunch of resources that not only our city offers, but that uh, the uh, nonprofits and, and statewide organizations will offer you to step in and give therapy and, and have that person who you're able to talk to. I mean, I, I, I mean, I just said it on this podcast, right? Like I got counseling right, and it helped a right. shit ton. Like I, like if there's any one, like, okay, that was one of the greatest decisions I made in my life was actually going to like, ask, ask me to like, I'm, I'm, Good at, like I, I'm reasonably good at a lot of things. Like you want me to want me to shoot a sniper rifle, I'll shoot a sniper rifle. You want me to like disarm a bomb, sure. You want me to do whatever. Like there's a lot of things that we're good at individually, whether it be right. with a job or whether it be a hobby or whatever. Like there's there's people that are badass woodworkers or or you know great with an engine on on, on a car or whatever it is. But uh, none of us are experts on mental health, right? Like that's that's not I. I got a degree in intelligence studies, which is a fancy way to say I got like an international relations degree, right? Right. So I got that's what I got a degree. I've been like breaking things for the, for the, the, the government for eight years. And then I've been a police officer. Like none of that is a, a mental health aspect. So why, why would I expect myself to be an expert in mental, even my own mental health? Cause I don't know what's going on up there. Like, I don't know. And it was just the fact of like, it's not like I went to any kind of crazy therapy where they hooked me up to any machines and zapped me or whatever. I didn't right. have a lobotomy or anything crazy like that, but it was just like, 
you sat down and the way that they asked questions, it was like, oh, right. oh, that, oh, okay. Like suddenly things click. Now you're processing things. Now you're able to file things away and put things away and you're seeing things. And, right. and there's just like, I mean, it really wasn't even that bad. It was just like these people that are just, they just know how to talk to you. They know how to ask questions. And so I don't know why we, we sit there and think, ah, no, oh, it, it's me, right? I'm an, no, you're not an expert in your own mental health. Like, believe me, you're, like it's you, you think you think you are, but it's, it, it, it's and yes, it is. It is gone away, and I'm 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 glad it's something that's not. And and if I mean, if you're struggling at all, there's like there's there is resources out there for everybody. But I mean, nobody's going to force you to do it. Eventually, you got to come to the conclusion, absolutely. Like like hey, you need to talk to somebody or or, or whatever. But I you, there's you're not going to regret it. Like that, that's that's the thing is you're not going to regret to talking to somebody like regardless of what level of struggle you have like it wasn't like I had a suicidal ideations I just I was always I I was always thinking about Afghanistan there was never a day that or hardly a moment that went by I didn't think about Afghanistan I hadn't I hadn't processed and put it away because there wasn't I hadn't had any time of all all the shit that I saw uh, in Afghanistan combined with all the shit I'm seeing on the streets like there was no time to process all this stuff so I was like constantly thinking and which is just bringing up all kinds of emotions that I couldn't articulate why because I'm a dude right I don't know how to articulate emotions right nobody really taught me how to articulate emotions and and all that stuff it really wasn't something that you taught your sons which is what I'm trying to change and teaching my sons how to actually articulate emotion to be able to process things and so I was always super depressed and angry because when whenever men experience emotions that we don't like or don't know, it just goes to anger, right? And then we right. just rage. And so all of this, and, and you now you're just a horrible person to be around. Your, your kids don't want to be around you. Your wife doesn't want to be around you. Your goats don't want to be around you. Like it's 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 not, nobody wants to be around you. And so it, it, it's just a matter of doesn't matter where your struggle, whether you're like oh, I have suicidal, I, like I feel like I have suicidal ideations all the way to you know what? No, I just don't feel a hundred percent. Regardless of where you're at, and you're somewhere in between, talking to somebody, you're not going to regret it. Like, believe me, you're going to feel better because, like, somebody that knows what they're talking about knows how to to phrase things. It just makes things click, and next thing you know, stuff stuff stuff's working. And nobody's going to care except for the no. people who it helps. No, no one. I mean, why? Like, no one's going to care. It's not like it's it's not like right right now, Chief's about to walk in and be like, "Joe, you're off the streets." Like, no, no, like it's it's not going to happen because it's like, no, they. They tell us they want us to, to, to get help if we need it because they want us to be the best possible people. The best, if we can be the best possible people, we can be the best possible police officers for the city of Grand Prairie. And this is, this is why then the city of Grand Prairie, we want to put Grand Prairie on the map so people actually know, know about us. Like one of those things is our, our city services are top-notch. Have top-notch people that are taken care of. You're going to be able to have top-notch services. I mean, it's, it's, it's not rocket science, and it makes sense when you finally put it there, but sometimes you just struggle with... Like getting there yourself, and that's Absolutely. and for some people they'll never get there, and then some people get there sooner than others. I'll tell you, Grand Prairie has been very, very good at taking. I need your physical, your emotional, your spiritual, you know, and now you start putting all of this together so that you can become a complete person. Yeah, but when I started, man, almost what fourteen years ago, yeah, police officers we didn't get counseling. You know, that was just something that, you know, it was a stigma. Oh, you're weak. Exactly. That's what it was. Yeah. Now it's almost encouraged. You know, you sit here and you go, oh, yeah, I've had counseling. (laughs) So have I. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like go and talk to somebody that knows what they're doing to help you become a better person. So we're all police officers and law enforcement. I get it. It's cool. But go be a better person first. Yep. So. 
you know, I, I enjoyed talking to my therapist because they're going to ask questions. And, and it's funny. You keep saying that word process. Holy smokes. I think she gave me homework. Make you oh, go yeah. home and you yeah. write down stuff. And it was, Katie, you need to process this. No, I'm processing it. I'm doing just fine. No, no, no. We're going to process. So kudos to you. You know what I mean? Like, um, we're, we're all been there. Uh, to be honest with you, I think every officer should do it because of the stuff that you see. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's seven years in, the, in working for another city. I've seen a whole lot of stuff. So, you know, coming from the military, you, you just is probably a whole lot more than I have. So um, kudos to you. And it's accumulative, like, and you just push it out. Like, like I said earlier, like you go from one, like, yeah, you may do the CPR on the baby. That may be the first call of your 12 hour shift. Yep. We got a whole 12 hour shift to calls you got to go to. And so it's like, no, we don't have time to process that stuff. Cause then the 12 hours is done. You get home and you're like, ah, oh. and then, then the kids are like, ah, oh, they need this. And the wife needs that. And then, then it's like, ah, oh, the kids broke this. Hey, you know, the cable potty training, just walk downstairs with a turd in his hand. Like then, then it's just like the life. It's like, you don't have time to process this stuff. Right. You got to go live your other life. And then yeah. you fall asleep, wake up and bam, you're back in briefing. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yep. cutting up and like talking about each other or whatever. And then, then suddenly bam, back out and you know, hitting the streets and there's like no time to actually slow down and process things. And then uh, it just builds up over time and you eventually just need a release. And the problem is, is like when we really steam, it's not always actually yeah. beneficial releasing steam and, and it could be more, uh, more harmful than anything else. And so it's just like, I mean, it's just, it's yeah, everyone needs it. Whether you do, whether you realize it or not, it, it is good to to do it every once in a while. And I mean, I know the in- intent of this wasn't to be coming to like this, but um, uh, this is like mental health thing, but I think it's such an important thing to hear from just like some normal, like normal people. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like, I, the other thing I realized is like, okay, yeah, there's that stigma where it's like, oh yeah, you're weak. But I was sitting there thinking like, right, as I was in counseling, I was like one time sitting there in the waiting room. And it was like my, my probably like second or third session or whatever. And I was like, wait a second. Who would think I'm weak? Like, right. Like, no, 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 no. Like the reason I'm here is because of the stuff I did. And I, I just, I was like, I don't know who would think I'm weak after like everything I've, I've done and been through from the military to deployments to policing and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know who would who would sit there and and go, man, man, you're weak. Like, you know, and that's the tragic like, part. I think is that you know you have decades worth of guys in this career in military mm-hmm. who have avoided going and and doing some of the things like counseling that could have helped them, and now they're dead. Be oftentimes with their own hand, and they were afraid of this this phantom that was going to find them weak, and all the rest of us were walking around with them dealing with similar, if not identical, things the whole time not caring, not thinking, oh, this guy's going to be weak. Had he just taken that extra step? And I think that's where our generation is going to be a little bit better, I'm hoping, is they're looking at things. And if someone were to try to look down them for getting help, they're just looking at the numbers and saying, okay, yeah, sure. But people taking your approach are dying almost or more often than by felonious assault. In, in our profession. So how about I do the right thing and take care of myself? Yeah. And it's just, we have to then find the right way and then pass it on because yeah. we can't just keep doing the same thing. It's not working. It's not working. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do with my kids is, uh, cause I have four boys. So I feel like, uh, like these are, they're going to be men one day. Right. And I don't know what they're going to choose to do, but if I can, um, try to instill in them like some emotional, um, 
maturity and resilience and the ability to articulate emotion and then hopefully have a healthy relationship with their emotions as a man. It's not like, oh, sissy boy or whatever. No, like, like just to be able to articulate to yourself what you're feeling is, is a huge right, thing. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, which will carry them whatever they decide to do in, in, in their lives. And so um, with the, uh, yeah, with the, the farm and all that aspect and homeschooling and, and just trying to get them, uh, get them where they need to be. And it may not be the right approach. Maybe my kids will need therapy one day. I don't know. Like we, like we're not experts. No one's an actual expert at, at parenting. But hey, I'm gonna give it the, I'm gonna give it the best try. I just know that the way, and then not a knock on my parents because they did the best they can. But the way that I went to try to get to to where I'm at today was a long, hard road. Mm-hmm. So like, how do I then set up the next generation? So my my kids or even other younger police officers or, you know, under me or right. not under me, but uh, with me or, or people that I, I, I train or whatever. But if I can, uh, if I can get them to a point where like you break the stigma, but have them have a healthy view and be able to articulate and process things healthily early on, then you're not going to need as many resources because they are in- healthy individuals with, when it comes to that kind of thing. And, and so it's just, uh, we have to pass that on. Otherwise it's just going to, we're just going to continue. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. Well, Mr. Joseph, I appreciate you coming in, bro. Uh, good insight. Um, yeah, we really appreciate it, man. I know yeah. a lot of that stuff's probably not easy to, to yeah. rehash, um, especially since we don't necessarily know yeah. the, the breadth of the, the audience yet. So it's a big, uh, big set. We appreciate it. I mean, it's a, it's always a big risk to open up and especially in a, when you have a faceless audience or whatever, right. but, uh, yeah. I think that uh, the more voices that uh, they get out there and be heard by by people, it's it's going to help change. We got to tear down the, the like you said the curtains and the walls when it comes to both policing and, and how we how we interact with our communities and with mental health and the whole nine yards. So that way, like it 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 becomes better. You actually want change, then we actually need to have steps to to implement it. I think that just getting more voices and stories out there, whether it's only heard by five people or 500 people, I think that's, that's going to help um, ultimately get us towards where we need to go. And uh, cause what we're doing now is like, basically it's like right now, it's just a community of like a lot of shit talking and not, <laughs> not enough actually like doing stuff. Right. And uh, I, I think that uh, we get those stories out. So I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to come on and, and kind of tell, tell a little bit about my story and, and where I've been and, where I'm trying to get to. Yep. Well, and we, we may very well uh, in the future, have you back on. We're kind of, we're letting this whole thing kind of take shape and see where it's going to go. So maybe we'll hear from you again. Cause I know there's, there's more stuff I'd like to chat about that. I think we've just kept you here long enough. Yeah, right. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that, that my, my phone's been vibrating in my pocket and I'll, I'll give you three guesses who you think that is. It's, <laughs> we'll take a selfie with you. So she knows you're not lying. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, I, I appreciate it. All right, guys, don't forget to find us on social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And most importantly, find us on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe, activate notifications, leave us a five-star review.